With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's going on? It's uh, Sports Talk with Josh, Marion, and friends. We got so many friends tonight. We got uh, Evan Lazar. We have Tim McBone. Tim McCone. <laughs> um, Terry Cushman. Cam and Ton. And Matt and Framingham. How's everybody doing tonight? How's it going, Josh? Doing good. Hang it in there. What's up, fellas? Let's talk Patriots. Like, obviously, the wide receiver corp is very non-existent right now. Like, Hogan is a top wide receiver. That's that's pretty suspect out there. Um, would you guys endorse signing Des Bryant or obviously Eric Decker? Evan. I'll go first. Okay, so I, I I think the thing with Dez is, is if you're going to sign Dez, you got to let him be Dez, and you got to let him play on the outside and, and go put up the X and jump over guys and, and play physical and do all that kind of stuff. He's not going to be a guy that, that's going to get open uh, consistently or, or separate consistently like a Malcolm Mitchell would on the outside. So it's going to be more of a jump ball situation. Now, on one hand, I kind of think that that, fits the Patriots pretty well because they have a pretty accurate quarterback in Tom Brady who's pretty good at throwing those back shoulders and those jump balls and those touch passes uh, around the defenders to give his guy a chance. You know, he does it with Rob Gronkowski on a weekly basis. So on one hand, it does you could see the fit, but I think that with Decker and with Dez, who I'm not as high on, on Decker, uh, but both of them is the question is, is can they still run? You know, can they still separate and, and get open uh, against NFL defenses? And I think that the jury is very much out on both. And a big reason I think that Dez is still on signed is because he's probably asking for too much money but it's also a combination of can he still play and I think Decker it's a full combination of can he still play I think he'd take about just about anything to have a job right now go ahead Tim oh give me both of them yeah no I I uh look I'm not sure how much of an impact either one of them is going to have at this point just because coming into this offense off of the street this late uh into the process right now I find it hard to believe that they, you know, really come up with a, a legitimate connection with Brady. Um, I know Eric Decker has some familiarity, obviously, with Josh McDaniels, so maybe that might be a, a, a better fit. But still, I would love the storyline of Des Bryant uh, in New England as well. I also think Des probably has a little more left in the tank than people think. I know, like, the stats haven't been great the last few years, but I also think, like, if you go back to his decline, it kind of coincides a little bit, obviously, with that injury, first of all. But then Dak Prescott taking over for, you know, Tony Romo, too, as well. So, yeah, I think he still probably has a lot left. And from the Patriots' perspective, they're just so thin at the wide receiver position, which I know a lot of people like to say 2006, and it kind of reminds them of that. But my whole thing is, too, is you also got Rob Gronkowski on this team. So to compare the offense to what it was in, you know, 2006 isn't necessarily fair when you probably have the best offensive weapon outside of quarterbacks on your roster right now. But if Gronkowski were to go down, it feels like right now this offense has a very similar feel to the 2013 team when just offensively, 
you know, they didn't have enough. So, yeah, I would love to see him at least make an attempt to try to bring in someone that could have an impact at the wide receiver position. They need one of those two. Absolutely. Uh, Cushman, we know you're a Red Sox guy, but you got to take on this? Uh, Actually, uh, I'm not a huge football guy, so I don't want to expose myself too bad. I mean, I definitely can tell that it is a a much leaner receiving core than previous years, but you also play in one of the weakest divisions in the NFL, and I, I think you guys got plenty of time to put the pieces in place, so to speak. Well, I'm actually, I'll, I'll, I'll include my two cents on this, and I'll just, you know, make it as simple as it gets. I'm all for bringing in Des Bryant, but on the fact that, and I will continue to say this, it's got to be nothing more than a zero-tolerance uh, restriction policy. And the reason I say that is because, and the reason I say that is because of one simple reason. Dallas gave up on him. And to me, that kind of is what really alarms me about it. As far as Eric Decker is concerned, I mean, look, I'm okay with Eric Decker, you know, giving him a shot, but I honestly don't know what he's got left. I would I would take a chance on Des Bryant, but Tim, Tim McClellan, as you said, and Evan – will definitely agree to this, I think. You know, if he's going to want $10 million a year, then, you know, just tell him to take a hike. I mean, it just depends on how bad he wants to come here. Yeah, There's I mean, no real reason it, why anybody, anybody who loves the Patriots shouldn't want Decker on this team. Like, he can be a he can be a red he can be a red zone threat. He can be a slot receiver. Like, Hogan is a top wide receiver right now. Like, there's no reason why Eric Decker shouldn't be on this team. Go ahead, Lazar. No, I, I just to play devil's advocate, I I think that this is getting way overblown. Like basically the the reason why people are starting to really worry about the wide receiver position is because Jordan Matthews got waived today and Malcolm Mitchell is obviously probably never going to be uh, fully healthy all the time. So th- those two guys going down is, is kind of – starting an earthquake here among people with the Patriots wide receivers. I mean, I think what it comes back to is, is that Gronkowski is their number one wide receiver. He's their number one offensive weapon. So everything kind of flows down from there. So really what you're looking at is you're looking at Gronkowski as number one, Julian Edelman as number two, and Chris Hogan as number three when it matters most, right? And then you have a backfield full of running backs three of which, James White, Rex Burkhead, Sonny Michelle, are going to be huge difference makers in the passing game. I just, I think that it's the combination of just we, that we nitpick this team a lot and we love to, you know, really get into this stuff and, and look at the fourth and the fifth wide receiver on the roster. But we're, we're really talking about depth players here. Eric Durker is not going to come in here and go and have an 1,000-yard season. It's just not, it's not happening. So, you know, with all the firepower that they already have, I I really don't think that Decker is is going to make a huge difference. Dez I think could make a little bit more of a difference, but there's money factors, there's role factors, uh, and there's him getting enough balls factors. You know something that he didn't really like. You know in 
Dallas with Dak Prescott was that Dak Prescott didn't throw him the football enough and he didn't throw him the football accurately. And that was a big reason why his stats, you know, took a hit the last couple of years as also, you know, with the injuries and with his body declining. But really, I mean, a lot of people I think are, are sleeping big time on some of the playmakers that this team already has. I mean, Sony Michelle guys is a really special running back. This guy's going to be really, really good. And he's going to be good in both the passing game and in the, in the running game. So I think they have plenty of weapons when you have Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels scheming up things. It, I would be shocked if this Patriots team struggled on offense. I really would. Well, Evan, Evan while we have you on, I, I had a question for you as far as Sony Michelle. Um, sure. Considering the running backs on this roster, is there a chance that Tom Brady might actually get more receiving yards out of the running backs early than the receivers? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that really a couple of things uh, to respond to that. One thing, I, I think that we are going to see some two running back sets. I think especially early on in the first four weeks without Edelman, I think that we could really see a lot of James White playing slot receiver. Uh, he's done it before in the past, and he's done it pretty well. There we go. He did it. He did it last year, uh, you know, for a lot of the season when, when Edelman was gone and when they were kind of pacing Amendola. Uh, you know, they didn't want to use Danny too much, and so they would go to James White when running a lot of those return routes and a lot of those quick routes over the middle, option routes and stuff like that. He's going to be in the slot. Jacob Hollister has had a great camp. Now, I don't think that Jacob Hollister is going to go out and, and be a, a you know a top-flight tight end or anything like that, but I think that he could be a secondary tight end option, especially in the first four weeks when he can do some of the different things moving around the formation. So I, I really think that, uh, you know, the running backs are going to be a huge part of this offense. You know, uh, Deion Lewis was a huge part of the offense last year uh, for most of the regular season. And uh, they really kind of, I think, almost improved the running back position despite losing a really good one in Deion Lewis. So uh, I'm excited about the backfield. I really think that people, because Sony Michelle is a rookie, they're tentative to say that he's going to be really good because we haven't seen him do it in the NFL but I promise you this kid's going to be really really good especially with McDaniels getting him in matchup situations and getting him in space hey guys I hate Evan, to obviously too, I have to I have to I have to bail I have to go for uh for work so I apologize but I owe you uh I'll, I'll definitely jump on at some point next week if that's cool we can break down no uh, problem Tim Des- I'll talk to you down can, the road sounds good we can break down Des Bryant on the pad That'll be good once he signs tomorrow, for sure. But, yeah. Sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Evan, obviously, what we have here, i gotta, I got to ask you this question. Um, the big position battle, obviously, at training camp this year will be left tackle, given Nate Soldier's departure for the Giants. Uh, Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal was on with us last week and said that right now Trent Brown – has been getting most of the first team reps, at least that's the case last week. Obviously, you know, first round pick Isaiah Wynn looks like it might be more of a guard. I mean, and Ladrian Wallop might be tried there. So is Trent Brown the favorite? And if so, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think Trent Brown's the favorite. And I think the, the big thing here is, is if you remember with Nate Solder, they didn't just give him the job right away. Matt Light had it for a year before he retired, and then they passed it off to Solder. So I think that more than anything, not only has Trent Brown had a really good camp and had a really good season last year for San Francisco, mostly playing right tackle, but still had a, a really strong year, is that they want Isaiah Wynn to earn the left tackle job. This is not a job, a very important job to Bill Belichick on this team 
team. He's always prioritized the left tackle position, and I don't think that he's just going to hand it to a rookie week one that hasn't earned it yet. So I think that they really want Isaiah Wynn to win this job, but I think that they're going to make him earn everything, and they're more than happy, I think, with going with Trent Brown. I could definitely see a situation, especially where Trent Brown has in the past kind of burnt out at the end of seasons, where in week eight or week nine, maybe you see a uh, a switch over to Isaiah Wynn, and Isaiah Wynn finishes the season as the starting left tackle. While we have Cushman on the show, I, I'd like to know Cushman's thoughts on what what's his biggest concern going on to going into this playoff run. You know, obviously we shored up the second base position with Ian Kinsler. Josh, 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 well, we, let's let's save this off for a little bit, man. Evan's only gonna be with us for a little while. Let's get as many patch questions out as we can. No, no offense, Cushman, and we just need to get Evan on. Evan, another positional battle is uh, second corner opposite Stephon Gilmore, and you're hearing reports, uh, obviously you've been down there all, all camp, that Eric Rowe is getting most of those reps and that Jason McCourty's at risk of not making the team. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, the Jason McCourty thing's interesting because it's definitely uh, a question of how much do they – want to push it with Devin McCourty. Uh, obviously, Devin McCourty is going to be a huge part of this defense. Now, I don't think that he would, you know, slack off or anything like that because they cut his brother, but he's obviously not going to be a happy camper if they let his twin brother uh, go when they traded for him to bring him on the team. But there's a couple guys right now. Eric Rowe, I think a lot of people soured on because of the, the first quarter of the Super Bowl, but really was solid after that in the Super Bowl and is a pretty uh, good outside cornerback. And uh, J.C. Jackson and Ryan Lewis, who are, you know, Ryan Lewis, the UDFA last year, J.J.C. Jackson, the UDFA this year, are really, really having a a good camp, especially Jackson has been pretty impressive. So I think that they're going to – there's a good chance, I think, that J.C. Jackson's on this team, whether he earns that number two uh, cornerback spot on the outside. I think that Rowe will probably be the veteran to to hold that spot down uh, for most of the season. But I think that you could see J.C. Jackson get some action as the third cornerback and, uh, and see where things go. Evan, let me ask you about the defense in general. I think it's pretty much evident that there's no way that Dante Hightower uh, is going to be able to go for a full 16 games during the regular season. So I'll just ask you up front, what is the second most important player besides Hightower in that interior of the defense, in your opinion? In the interior, I'd probably say it's it's probably Trey Flowers. Uh, Kyle Van Noy is is got a case because if you're losing High Tower, then he becomes your number one linebacker. But Trey Flowers is really a very disruptive guy in the in the pass rush and is probably the only guy on the Patriots right now until. Derek Rivers or Dietrich Wise or Adrian Claiborne, they really show it on the field with the Pats uh, is, you know, probably the best pass rusher they have and probably the only guy that really scares other teams in terms of we can't necessarily block this guy one-on-one on every snap. He's a guy that, you know, teams are game planning for on Monday and Tuesday uh, the week before they're playing the Patriots. They're circling him on the depth chart as a guy that they really need to stop. So I would say in, in the interior, it's probably Trey Flowers, although I think that Danny Shelton in, in terms of writing this run defense that was pretty bad last year is going to be a big part of the interior game as well. Evan, also, um, there's always a surprise cut every training camp. I mean, last year it was going to be Rob Nikovich until he retired, it felt like. And this year, indications are leading that it might be 
2015 first-round pick Malcolm Brown. Do you think that he's in trouble? They didn't pick up his option. Do you think that there's a chance that he is not on the 53-man roster? I think that there's a chance he's not on the 53. I would be shocked if he got cut. Maybe he gets traded. Uh, He has some value. I mean, I would be really surprised a guy that didn't quite make the leap last year, but is still a pretty solid rotational defensive tackle. He's going to like have a career in the NFL, whether he's with the Patriots past this year or or past this training camp, he's not, you know, going away. He's not going to not have a job. So he's definitely too good for that. So I think that cutting him uh, is probably not the best way to go about it. I'm assuming that a team would probably give you something in the trade market, a a draft pick of some sort, or maybe another veteran player that they like to plug and play in a different spot uh, for Malcolm Brown, who I understand, you know, why he's kind of on the outside looking in. I think Danny Shelton's the better player, uh, at least what he showed as far as his NFL career so far, but I think that Malcolm Brown is a little bit too good, in my opinion, to just straight up cut him. Uh, Evan, we, Evan, I uh, I just have a, a lead question for you, and I, I'm going to be very curious to ask you this question because I got a gut feeling that this is one of those questions that can get about an answer in any other way, but as you probably heard, the NFL just uh, updated the new targeting rule that uh, I got a gut feeling is not going to last long before the bleep hits the fan. So I'll just ask you, have you heard any reactions from down in Foxborough from Belichick or the coaching staff or the players about this targeting rule? And if so, what has been their thoughts? Are you talking about the ducking of the helmet? Correct. Yeah, so I think that the the biggest problem, and Matt Chatham, if you if you guys subscribe to the Athletic, wrote a great piece about it today. Uh, the biggest issue that they're going to have is policing it. What what are players going to be able to get away with and what they're not? That kind of gray area, I think, is everybody is kind of a, on a in a wait and see to kind of see how the officials are going to officiate the rule. I mean, the rule really is. A lot of running backs obviously have come out and, and, and said that they disagree with the rule because a big part of finishing runs is lowering your head. I think it's going to be a huge problem in the trenches. You got guys that are trying to get leverage and trying to get lower than the guy, uh, you know, aside from them or in front of them. And uh, and basically the rule says that if you lead with your hands, uh, it's supposed to be legal. But, you know, we all know that that's kind of a judgment snap call in the moment. Sometimes with a lot of these rules, there's, you know, was his hands first, was his head first? It's moving really fast. It's in a small area. I don't know. It, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, as you said. Uh, and it's kind of just a wait and see how they're going to go with it. My guess is, is that you'll hear it called a little bit at the beginning of the season. Uh, my guess is, is that if it's the Super Bowl, you're not going to hear it called at all. Evan, before you go, we do have a listener question for you from a listener of ours who's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. He wants to know oh. that if you were – this has got nothing to do with Jameis Winston. Don't worry about that. I'm not going to touch that third <laughs> rail. He wants, to, he wants to know that if you were the Patriots and the Buccaneers called you today and offered you O.J. Howard, the young tight end out of Alabama, who was a star in the national championship game of uh, two years ago, offered you him for Rob Gronkowski straight up, would you do it? Wow. Um that's a good question. I I think that the answer for the Patriots uh, might alarm some people. <laughs> I think that they might think long and hard about that trade, to be honest. Uh, but 
I would I would probably say no, but I think that OJ Howard is a guy that they assume in Tampa is going to be a, a big star for them in the passing game, I would assume, and in the blocking game too. He's a really good blocker too. He's a really good player. Uh obviously tight end is a position that is kind of slow to develop in the NFL usually. Rookie tight ends don't usually put up big numbers. So uh, I would say that I would say no because Gronk is is a much more dynamic receiver right now and probably still a much better blocker. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's a tempting offer. Hi, uh, Evan. One question for me, uh, and uh, depending on time, if it's the last question before we let you go, uh, a question about just overall the, the state of the AFC in general. Um, which team do you see – as the possible biggest threat to the Patriots at this point? Yeah, I think that I, I I think of the teams that you come back to, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, and if they can put it all together, the Los Angeles Chargers. But I, you know, we all know that in in Chargers land, the the playoffs are a different animal. Uh, you know, getting over that hump is going to be tough. So I would say that the biggest threat to the Patriots still has to be the Steelers, and I know a lot of people are going to say they killed the Steelers. Uh, yeah, that's true, but as a stats guy, I don't look too much into what happened 15 years ago as having any impact as what's going to happen this year. So I still think they have the best roster and the highest ceiling, although Jacksonville, uh, you know, obviously they gave them a hell of a game in the AFC Championship game. Uh, week two is going to be a great ma- matchup with Jacksonville as well. Uh, I think that the Jaguars are right there. You know, those are the two teams for sure that, that I look at as two teams that could definitely beat the Patriots in January. All right, Lazar, let me get you out of here on this. All right. What do you think the Patriots' record is going to be throughout the first four games? Oh, the first four games. So we have Houston, Jacksonville, Detroit. What's the fourth one? I can't remember. Miami. 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 Miami in Miami? No. it's a, No, it's at home. It's a Gillette. All right. Uh, I would say I'd, – I'd probably say two and two. They usually start the season off pretty slow. I assume they'll win week one against Houston at home. Uh, Jacksonville and Detroit are going to be two tough games. I think that people are going to be a little disappointed uh, potentially, and Matt Patricia might upset his old protege. It it could happen. In Detroit, a big game for Matt Patricia, obviously. Uh, So I I see that that Jacksonville and Detroit getting out of there with both Ws is going to be pretty tough. All right, Evan, you out of here now? I'm out of here. Thanks, guys. I enjoy it every time I come on, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Evan. Oh, by the way, before, one one last thing for me. Are you going to be covering the preseason at all? So I got a big announcement coming. Uh, I think we're hoping to announce it on Friday morning about uh, my coverage this year. I'm really excited about it. I can't tell you what it is just yet but wait and uh and see on, on twitter on friday we'll have a, a big announcement and the answer is uh yes for sure fair enough Easy. all right Let's take go. care okay i'll see you then guys thanks evan gushman you still there oh yeah okay all you right. guys ready to hey, shoot hey, the rest Gary, of how's it going <laughs> it's going all right, well, let's get to the other team with issues. Um, Terry, I, I, 
I got to start by asking you this very simple question. And, you know, you seem to be uh, someone that really seems to have a lot of interesting comments on Twitter, and I follow you, obviously. But what do you find more laughable? The fact that Dave Dabrowski did not get a bullpen arm piece or the fact that he said he likes our bullpen? You know what? I'm really going to surprise you here. And um, I think our bullpen is actually sneaky good. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time for that to play out. But Kimbrell has actually scuffled a little bit more than what I'm comfortable with, but it's kind of gotten away with it. I know he did blow a save last week, but Thornburg, ever since they made that mechanical adjustment, has really turned a corner. And He's my eighth inning guy going forward, and by all indications, that's what it sounds like it's going to be for him. The only thing I'm not sure of is whether or not he can do it in back-to-back days, you know, because he's coming off a serious shoulder surgery, so they they might try to ease him back in. But then you have uh, Brazier, the guy who was closing for Pawtucket, has pitched very well. I think in 10 appearances, he's only given up one earned run. Uh, Matt Barnes has only given up two earned runs going all the way back to June 15th. And although Heath Hembry can scuffle here and there, he's a strikeout machine and his K through nine rate is uh, just as high as Craig Kimbrell. So I, I, I'm feeling okay about that. And, And Joe Kelly's starting to show signs of life too. And I wouldn't put him back in an eighth inning situation and say, okay, this is yours. I'd keep him more as a situational guy, try not to pitch him back-to-back games, and I think that's going to be more optimal for him, and you'll you'll see him do a lot of what he did in, in April or May. I would have loved to have had Brad Ziegler. You know, I, I, I think it's great to have a submariner guy in there, especially to come in after a guy like Chris Sale is throwing absolute gas. And then, you know, you bring in a guy with a funky delivery with an arsenal of mostly off-speed stuff. I think that can really screw with the rhythm of uh, the opposing lineup. But my biggest concern is the bottom half of the lineup and, and maybe even the rotation as well. It's it's not the bullpen. So, Cushman, we have five eighth-inning guys. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll narrow it down to just Thornburg, and the rest of them will be more situational based on matchups and whatnot. But I think we have a very serviceable bullpen. It's not the Yankees' bullpen with Chapman, uh, Britton, Robertson, and even Batances is pitching basically how he was. Yeah, but their starting rotation sucks. True. They have to get to the bullpen. But uh, I'm just saying, you know, I – I, I kind of like our bullpen, too. Uh, Cushman, well, uh, i got a question. For if at the beginning of the month they someone came to you and said the Red Sox final deadline would be Steve Pierce, Nathan Evaldi, and uh, Ian Kinsler, would you have deemed that a success or a failure? Love it. That's an excellent question, and I'd probably be a little disappointed with it. You know, I I look at Evaldi as a guy who can kind of – yeah, a little bit, yeah. Evaldi's having a great year, and I look at him as a guy who can help get us to the postseason, but I don't know that he's going to be that impact guy. 
I don't think Steve Pierce is going to be hitting well over 300 for most of the year. I think he's going to, you know, be brought in against lefties, you know, like Dombrowski said he was intended for. And, those Yankees um, and those Astros lineups are loaded with right-handed batters. And and Uvalde has a nasty slider against right, right-handed batters. He could. I mean, he's having a, a breakout season. If you look at just his career numbers, they're as mediocre as Rick Porcello's are, you know, outside of his Cy Young year. And I, I'm intrigued. I mean, he had a great start against against Minnesota and two starts before that he faced them and gave up eight runs. So, um, you know, so it's encouraging and, and he's serviceable, but I'm not ready to say, okay, he's my game three starter. Well, uh, Terry, here's, here's my take on Evaldi. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, try to put a dime on his, performance against Minnesota. I mean, listen, he gave him exactly what he did, which is great. But I just think that the question that I have with Avaldi is, you know, whether or not that he can be able to uh, power his way through the lineup the third time because the book on him is whether or not when he goes up against, you know, very good teams is whether or not he can get through the lineup without trouble. That That's my only concern with Avaldi. Other than that, I, I'm with you, not ready to put him in the number three starter. As a matter of fact, depending on how the rotation goes, I think Evaldi is going to the bullpen, and he's probably going to be the long man if that happens. Well, I mean, if Erod comes back, you have you have six starters, and I, I'm going to say that he's going to be in the rotation when he does come back, and then Pomeranz and Johnson are kind of the odd man out. And I, I think those are probably going to be your, your long relief guys in the postseason. I mean, if it ends up being Evaldi, you know, fine. The interesting thing about Pomeranz is one of his best starts this year happened to be against the Yankees. And Erod seems to pitch exceptionally well against them as well. So, you know, who's to say – Rick Porcello gets bumped back to, you know, the number four start, assuming this is the ALDS, you know, which is a five game set, but I, it's, it's just so early to tell. And, you know, our ACE right now, Chris Dale, he's, he's on the DL for what we're hoping is something minor, but, you know, two months in baseball is two lifetimes. If you ask me. Well, 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 here's my question. Uh, as far as, you know, possible teams that are, or should I say players that are going to make the postseason roster. You know, I think right now between Brian Johnson and Drew Pomerantz, I think for Brian Johnson, his start tomorrow could tell us a lot about whether or not he makes the postseason roster because, I mean, for the most part, he's been very serviceable, but – Here's something else that I, I want to ask you, and I, I, I you know, this is something that I don't think we are, you know, bringing up at all, but we we need to bring it up here. Bogarts got hit really badly on the arm, and all I kept thinking about was what happened to him last year around this time. So my question is, if he's not in the lineup Thursday, don't we have to sound the alarms off on this guy? Well, I mean, he both both injuries were 
him being hit by a pitch. So, I mean, there's a lot of bad luck, you know, associated with that. It's not like Pedroia, who's out, you know, for a knee injury, and Stephen Wright, for that matter. And those are wear and tear things that are just going to be persistent. He, you know, he he took one right right on the, the hand, you know, and, and two years in a row, and it's it's going to be a big blow if he's not in the lineup, you know. I I wasn't I'm not I did wasn't crazy about the the Ian Kinsler trade. I mean it's fine. We didn't give up a lot for him, but he's not an impact guy, and I'm just not so excited about him. But but it could be a blessing that we have him because you could still have Holt and Nunez on that side of the diamond, you know, third and short while Bogarts is out. If if it comes to that, so, um, but I hear what you're saying. You know, he's he he always finds a way to get injured. Even that ankle injury, he fractured his talus bone, sliding over the top dugout step. And I mean, <laughs> it's just like the guy's cursed. And he's gonna with the numbers he's been putting up, he's not gonna be cheap. I expect him to get a contract somewhere in the neighborhood of what Eric Hosmer got, which was something like eight years, $140 million. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true, uh, Terry. And while we have you, I also have to ask you this. Right now, come playoffs, I mean, I mean, Matt, you said Evaldi is a long man. As a long man. If you're putting Evaldi in the bullpen. You're putting Evaldi back there for a seventh or an eighth anyway. Well, you don't want to have him do mop-up duty. So, uh, Great. Terry, come the, Terry, come the playoffs. David Price, is he in the rotation, or are you putting him in the bullpen? I would – I'm the biggest pessimist ever on Price. I have no faith in him uh, whatsoever. Terry, Terry, <laughs> you think you're the yeah. biggest pessimist on David Price? You should hang out with me. <laughs> uh, well, it would be a fun – you know, it would be a fun couple of drinks we'd have, you know. I, I, uh, you ain't I, kidding I, I, I don't I don't like him. This I think this start on Sunday on ESPN against the Yankees with a much much more anemic lineup. He's not going to have to face Sanchez who owns him. Judge won't be in the lineup and that might be it as far as uh uh hitters go, but but it's a weaker lineup. So if he goes out there and lays an egg that that means hopefully means he's at the absolute best going to be your number four starter with an extremely short leash. That's when your Evaldi goes in there or, or in a, in a much lower pressure bullpen situation. So I don't, I don't want him starting in games one, two or three, let's put it that way. And this is a starting rotation who none of them have a win as a starter in the postseason, not one single one of them. Clay Buckholtz has more wins than all of those guys combined, as much as we love to crap on that guy. But I'm just I'm, – I'm really pessimistic, and I don't like, I don't like the, the bottom half of this order. It's not built for the postseason. In a historically weak year for the American League, yeah, we could, we could run up the win total, but – what you saw against Philly in this last series against good pitching is what that lineup is. And they're going to be backed, like I said, 
by a rotation that's never even done it before. Go back to 2013. Here's a perfect example. We hit 204 against Detroit in the ALCS and then 202 almost identically in the World Series. And we were the number one offense that year with Hall of Famers on the team. And But the difference was was they had John Lester, who had some postseason experience, who didn't rattle in big moments. And then John Lackey, who had a, a ring previously with the Angels. And he, you know, he was a great postseason pitcher, much better postseason pitcher than he was in the regular season. And I'm not sure we have those guys to, to compensate for a weak lineup. It's, I, don't like, I don't like the way we match up. So, I mean... Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I know I'm Mr. Negative, but um, I, I, just, I just don't see us going too deep. And here's two other facts that might make you throw up. Outside of 2013, we haven't won a playoff season since 2000, uh, excuse me, a playoff series since 2008. Not one single one outside of 2013. And the only game we've won in the playoffs outside of 2013 was the one win against the Astros. So, <laughs> well, Terry, I mean, you want to hear you want to hear a stat that will make you even throw up even more. I actually found this out from uh, Christian Arcan, who's now the uh, new headlines guy for the Adam Jones Show, and th- this goes back to David Price's last start against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Here's the stat here: before that start, back at uh, back at Yankee Stadium, in 275 starts. David Price had given up no more than three home runs in all those starts, 275 starts. In the start against the Yankees that night, he matched that total against the Yankees in the first 10 at-bats. Yeah, it, it was ugly. And it just it, it goes to show you that it's just all in his head. It's just all mental for him. There's nothing... Physically, he's fine. I mean, he's not the Cy Young guy. He's not throwing 98 anymore. But he has demonstrated, as you just pointed out, that he can get guys out fairly easily. But when you put him in a high-pressure situation against a dangerous lineup, he's going to cave. And it's, hopefully Sunday's the last straw. And, and they, they come up with, like, an alternative-type plan for him, which, which won't put him – as a starter in the first few games. All right. Well, listen, guys, I I, I have to jump off because I got an early riser call tomorrow. Uh, So I got to jump off. I uh, wish you guys well. Terry, good to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Have a good night. Yeah. Take care, guys. Have a good night, Matt. Terry, one last question for you before we get – before we get out of here, uh, obviously we all know all the schematics. So I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but the question is this. If Dustin Pedroia has played his last game in a Red Sox uniform, what is his legacy? I'm a hater of Pedroia, but I will admit um, he's – I don't – I think he's going to fall short of the Hall of Fame, but he's going to be in the – definitely like in the Veritech category – for, you know, amongst Red Sox Nation, and he'll be remembered as one of the better defensive second basemen of his era. And 
I a lot of people are gonna you know reflect on him a lot more fondly than I do. I just I just didn't like his over the top personality and the the Machado controversy last year was really was really it for me. So, um, but but it's it's undeniable that you know he's one of the most you know beloved Red Sox players of the last twenty years. And that's true, Terry. Uh, Terry, I uh, think we're going to end it there. Um, thank you for coming on with us tonight. If you've got a final thought, you can go ahead and give it to us. If not, you, you, we can go. Uh, no, I'm good. I just, I think we're just going to see more of the same throughout the month of August with the Red Sox and uh, just hopefully set us up, ourselves up for the uh, postseason. Have a good night, gentlemen. Dang you too, Terry. All right, Cam. So, Josh, I gotta get go. I, Josh, I gotta get going too myself, but I will give you my final thought now. I will keep it on the Red Sox, and I will say this: Dave Dombrowski came into the Red Sox organization just about three years ago. It'll be three years in about two and a half to two weeks. He was hired in the middle of August of 2015. He came in that day and accumulated the second highest rated farm system in Major League Baseball. Here we are, three years later, and it's the 27th ranked farm system in baseball. Now, I'm not going to complain because he has made a lot of good trades. The only trade he has out and out lost is the Tyler Thornburg trade, in my opinion. The two Pomerantz trade, you can declare it whatever, but he, he gave up Anderson Espinosa, who blew out his elbow in the minor leagues and had a five-year before that. And he landed the best starter and best closer in the game in Chris Sale and Craig Kimball. And he got the J.D. martinez Giancarlo Stanton debate. Absolutely right for now. That can change long-term. But for now, short-term, he got that completely right. J.D. Martinez might be the league MVP. And Stan didn't even make the All-Star game. However, if the Red Sox don't win a championship this year or next year, because after next year they're going to have to completely start over because a lot of this team, most of this team, are free agents of this year or next year, at least the important Short players. window. It's a short window. You, I, I told you heard Tony Maz say this the day they traded for Chris Sale. It's three years. And the first year of that three was last year. It's year two now, and next year is it. You've got to win in the next two years. Otherwise, it's going to be a complete waste of time for you to build an incredibly talented roster like you have. You need to come through. So my message to the Red Sox is I hear people say this, you know, I need to see them go deep. I need to see them compete. No. I'm telling you right now, you need to win a championship. You need to win it all because you do not strip your farm system and go from 2 to 27 in Baseball America's rankings to win the ALCS. You need to win a championship this year or next year. And if you don't, it's a failure. Josh, I'll end it there. Thank you. Thanks for having us on tonight. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. We're on here. It's, it's championship or bust as far as it goes with the Red Sox. You know, Dombrowski, Dombrowski picked up guys giving up nothing, like Steve Pierce, Uvalde, Kinsler. We, we absolutely gave up nothing. That's my final take for the night. You know, Dombrowski, I think he made some good moves. He didn't make a bullpen move. He's trusting with the with the guys in the system right now, like Thornburg, Brazier, Barnes, Kelly, you name it. But he, he made some good moves, and he gave up nothing for that. We're out of here. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Have a great night, have a great day, have a great morning, have a great afternoon whenever you're tuning in. Have a great everything. We're out.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.